chapter 1, verse 18, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and I apologize to the, the computer folks back there, they're going to have to uh, have a quick trigger today, I've got a few verses, uh, but uh, we'll begin in Matthew 1, verse 18, now the birth of Jesus was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph. Man, I'm so glad Jesus came. I'm going to try to hold it together. Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. Praise God. Which being interpreted is like we need an interpretation and we do. So we've got it right here in scripture. You want to know who Jesus is? He's God with us. God with us. God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Let's love the Lord right now and thank him for his word today. Would you lift your voice and praise him for just a few moments before we enter the word today? Thank you, Lord, for what we hear and know. God, thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that what happened, Lord, so many years ago that we commemorate here in the next few days. I pray, Lord, you would help us to recognize how important it is and how, how wonderful it is and how miraculous it is and how blessed we are and how thankful we ought to be and how worshipful we ought to be. Lord, I praise you today for what you've done for me and what you've done for each of those standing here today. I praise you, Lord, that you were incarnated in flesh. I praise you that Jesus was nothing more than God wrapped in flesh. What a mighty, wonderful miracle. What a wonderful story. We praise you for it today. We give you honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Uh, we find in Matthew chapter 1, we come uh, 24 years of pastoring. I've preached a number of Christmas messages. And uh, next Sunday, I'll share my thoughts about uh, Christmas as well. Uh, it, although it may not be in a message form. But uh, today, uh, I want to remind us of a few things uh, about this season in which we celebrate. Uh, I want to remind you that Jesus... First of all, is God wrapped in flesh, and I'll mention that uh, quite a few times here today. 
But I want you to remember that he was born in what would be, uh, I guess, best called a cave. Or a, we would call it a stall or we call it where he laid a manger. And really a manger was just a trough where they would feed their animals. They would put the hay or the grain or the food and their animals would come and, and they would eat. Some of you may deal with livestock and you... If you want to know where he was laid after he was born, he was laid really in a feed trough. And in those days, fencing, uh, you know, whether it was a poor man or someone that was not able to fence off a large area to hold cattle or or livestock, they would use uh, maybe caves or or, or, uh, things, uh, natural uh, uh, holding areas for, for their livestock. Uh, uh, to hold during uh, certain seasons or even in the night. And so we find that Mary and Joseph came to an inn, a place for travelers to dwell and or to spend the night. And there was no room in the inn for this expectant mother and her, her espoused husband. And uh, the, the, the story goes and the scripture lets us to know that they were offered a, a little cow stall or a little animal shelter somewhere out in the field, and Jesus was born in that kind of environment. We know that the star that shone in the east come, came and, and rested over where the child lay. We know that the angels sang to the shepherds, uh, go into the city of David for this day is born a Savior. I praise God for the message of Jesus Christ and who He is. I was reminded early this morning again that if it had not been for the Lord, we would be a long way from where we are right now, and uh, we'd be more miserable than we are right now. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, that's good news. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you'd be more miserable if it weren't for Jesus. I'm not speaking for anybody, but could it be that we've heard each other complain and bellyache and talk about how bad it is all week and... Here we are, we're going to be reminded today that if it hadn't been for the Lord, it could be worse. I'm thankful today for His blessings in my life. I'm thankful that He came to a manger. Somebody say amen. Why don't you clap your hands unto the Lord? I want you to go there with me today. I don't, I don't want all the tinsel and all the the things that happen in this season to block your vision today. I want you to realize this morning that God was wrapped in flesh and he came into this world by an old barn. Just being born in an old barn where you keep cattle and you wouldn't keep people there. Uh, But that's where Jesus was born and the shepherds found him there and the wise men found him there. In fact, Colossians chapter 1 verse 19, and I mentioned I, I didn't give them my scriptures earlier, but I, I think they, they've got a Bible back there somewhere on that computer, so I'm sure they can find it. But Colossians 1.19 mentions uh, in, in a particular way what happened in Bethlehem and in Colossians 1.19, for it pleased the Father that in Him, speaking of Jesus, all, should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of His cross, By him, we're talking about Jesus, to reconcile all things unto 
himself, by him, I say, whether there be things in earth or things in heaven, I want to tell you, everything resides in Jesus. Everything that God is resides in Jesus. There's nothing better than Jesus. There's no one greater than Jesus. In fact, when I get to heaven, John took a journey into that heavenly place and he said, I... I and Paul did as well, and, and, but in John's account, he says, I saw a throne, and he saw one that sat on the throne, and he, he said, it's the throne of God and the Lamb, and, and I understand that we're going to throw our crowns at his feet, and we're going to see Jesus sitting on the throne. No, he's not standing at the right side. John lets us to know who's on that throne. He said, there's one on that throne, and it's the throne of God and the Lamb. Well, I know who God is. That's the creator of the universe. And I know who the lamb is. That's Jesus. So I know who's on that throne. For Jesus is everything. And you heard that last week. So let's praise him for a moment. Let's thank God that he came in flesh. I want to be very clear today. I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying. I am not saying God the Father sent God the Son. When I say He was God in the flesh, I'm telling you now that the Father that created all things and by Him all things consist. It was that God that wrapped Himself in flesh and became the Son. Make no mistake about it. You can get confused because you hear that everywhere. Well, it's God in flesh. Yeah, and they're thinking that's exactly right. And Jesus was up there and God the Father sent Jesus out of heaven and he is God. No, I'm talking about he is Emmanuel, Jehovah, or Elohim with us. Somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. I want you to be well aware of that today. Jesus said it to Philip, have I been so long with you, yet you do not know me. (laughs) The Father took on flesh. This is what they could not kill on Calvary. (laughs) They could kill the Son of Man, but they couldn't kill the Son of God because he was almighty God. In him, John says, was light. And that uh, that life was the light of men. It pleased the Father that in Jesus should everything dwell. He is everything. If you're wondering today, I want you to know you are in a Jesus church. That if it pleased the Father to put everything in Jesus and that Jesus would be everything and that when we get to heaven, he will eventually be all in all. If that pleased the Father, then I believe today it pleases the Father to worship Jesus, to magnify Jesus. If that pleases God, then I want to be an individual that pleases God. Somebody say amen. Colossians 2 verse 9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now look at verse 10, And you are complete in him. which I'm complete. I'm complete in him. I don't know what you came in today feeling you were deficient of. 
I don't know what you came in feeling like. Well, if I had this, I'd be happier. Or if I had this cornered, or if I had this uh, situation uh, controlled, if I had a little more of this or a little more of that, be it money, be it patience, uh, be it long-suffering, be whatever it is. The Bible tells us that we are complete in Jesus. We are incomplete outside of him, but we are complete in him. He is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead and the bed as well. Jesus is everything. Philippians 2 verse 9, For this reason God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want you to think for a moment today about your prayer life. I want you to think for a moment about the times you spend talking to Jesus. I want to ask you today what your request. Those that you make known to God, and we should. Let me ask you, what do those requests revolve around? For most of us ask for things. Most of us at Christmas time, we see Jesus maybe as the big old Santa Claus in the sky. That we're going to sit on his lap. We're going to ask him for a better job, a better health report. We're going to ask him for a few things. And if he doesn't give it to us, we're going to be all fired upset because It's not fair for him to do it for somebody else and not me. If one person's rich, then we all ought to be rich. That's fair. (laughs) If one person's healthy, then everybody ought to be healthy. That's fair. And so most of us ask God of things, ask for things uh, of God, and, and they are in fact things. It's amazing to me, though, that in the story of Jesus' birth, That nobody in the story seemed to complain about the setting. Not one of the shepherds complained about the feed trough or the barn out back or the night air. It got a little cool this evening or we got a little snow on the ground. The wise men traveled a great distance and they spent valuable time seeking the Christ child. The gifts they offered that baby, they offered them willingly without reservation. And they had obviously prepared for a long time for this one meeting. I don't find where they ever complained about giving something to Jesus. Because they walked into that cow stall and looked into that manger and it wasn't about the star and it wasn't about the angels singing and it wasn't about the gifts and it wasn't about any of those things. It was about that baby in that manger. He was everything. That would cause wise men to freely give their possessions. I don't understand people that want to walk away from an encounter with Jesus and live their own way in their own life. When these wise men saw Jesus, they emptied their pockets of what they had because he was what it was all about. These shepherds left their flocks and made their way to a manger. Oh, if it could be that way in our hearts today. 
that we can focus our attention on that child that was born in Bethlehem and nothing else would matter. Whether we're rich or poor, healthy or sick, good times or bad times, I've got the Lord, I've got the Lord, and that's enough. That's enough. Oh, for that to grip this church. Oh, for us to realize that Jesus is everything. He's all I need, we used to sing. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. Oh, come on, let's love the Lord. Jesus is all I need. We'll tell you today, Jesus is all you need. Jesus is all you need. The Bible tells us in the last days, I feel the Holy Ghost here this morning. In the last days, men's hearts will fail because of fear. That word really was fear, obviously, but it deals with anxiety. Everybody say anxiety. We're in an anxious world, a fearful world, not understanding what the future brings. And our hearts and our minds are under such pressure. And some people wonder uh, how there's going to be any relief. I'm preaching to a generation that has gotten accustomed to other things supplying their happiness and their peace and their joy. I'm telling you, it's all about Jesus. And in Him is everything you need. If you had hope in this life, anywhere in this life, if you had hope in this life, you'd be miserable at best. Our hope is in the Lord. Our help is in the Lord. Our strength is in the Lord. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord Jesus today. What is it about that first Christmas that seems so different from the world in which we live today. I wonder what the conversation would be inside that barn today. I wonder if people showed up. It's inconvenient. It's not comfortable. It's smelly. I wonder how many would focus on things in that environment and not realize the Savior of the world is born this day. I wonder how many have worried this week about jobs and health and other things and not realize that in the manger of your own heart, a Savior has been born. Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. No, I'm not depressed today. I've got a heart full of gratitude. No, I'm not worried today. I know Jesus is in control of all things. And I know it won't be long. He'll be coming back and every eye shall see him. Oh, I I want you to hear me today. That Savior that came to Bethlehem is coming back. And it will not be long. Oh, I don't want to get distracted with things. I guess I've lived long enough to realize things will never make you happy. Money will never make you happy. Getting everything in order will never make you happy. I remember just a few weeks ago, it wasn't long ago, my father-in-law, uh, we had a little scare with, with uh, his health and I was, I was out uh, doing some things that needed to be done, believe it or not, you know, uh, yeah, I could pay somebody to do all that stuff, but I don't have any more money than you do. Uh, and to be honest, I kind of like mowing my own grass. You know, what kind of pastor would you have if I sit in the house drinking lattes until you'd go cut my wood for me? Well, I know some of you think I need to do that, but uh, 
but there's a sense of stewardship that comes on me that says, you know, there's some things I need to take care of to be a good steward. And so I was doing some of that on a Monday. I was getting some things together. My wife called and said, uh, mentioned that her dad, and they were worried about a health report that came back. And, and uh, so I began to pray for him out there and where I was working. And, and uh, all of a sudden, I began to look around me and look at the things I had in my possession, look at the things that God had blessed me with. And I realized that none of that matters. And I realized that when life is over, we're going to leave empty-handed just like we came in. And we spend a lot of time and worry over stuff that doesn't matter. (laughs) Oh, I'm preaching to you today about that baby in a manger. If we didn't have him, we'd be miserable. What is life? The accumulation of things. If it weren't for Jesus, all we'd have is a little property and a few vehicles. And when our health began to break, we'd wonder who was going to fight over it. Well, thank God there was a baby born in Bethlehem that tells me life is more than the abundance of things. I've got Jesus. Come on, church. I think we're going to have to get to the point where Jesus is enough for us. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Come on, let's just entertain the Lord right now. Oh, let's just entertain Him right now. You see, when He came in that manger, and I I hurry, I'm going to try to be done here in a minute. I wonder what the conversation would have been like. I want to say to you, He's not come to give us gifts and things. Although if I seek first the kingdom, there's no end to what he'll bless me with. But make no mistake about it, I can't get the cart before the horse. I can't be so focused on what he has done or hadn't done. See, this is, this is how people get twisted in their mind. They say, well, I asked the Lord to do this and he didn't do it. And I asked the Lord. You see, we're focused on the gift and, and he's the gift. The gift is not something he gives us. He is the gift. Let us keep in mind that God knows our needs. And knowing our great need, he did not supply us with objects. Knowing our great need, God did not say, okay, I'm going to make it so everybody has health care. I'm going to make it so everybody has a house, everybody has a car, or nobody ever gets cancer. No, knowing our great need, what did he do? He supplied for us the greatest of supplies that we could ever have. He gave us a Savior. If we would have needed money, he would have sent us an economist. If we would have needed an entertainer or entertainment, he would have sent us an actor. But he sent us a savior because what we needed was salvation. That's what we needed. And I want to tell you that's more important than your house. That's more important than your opinion. That's more important than your health. Just to know I'm saved. He gave us a person. Somebody say amen. amen. And make no mistake, I want to I mention just a few things as I close. Jesus is the way. He is not a way. He is the way. Salvation is not a method, a formula, a church membership role, or an experience you had 20 whatever years ago. Wait. 
I'm going to say it right here in front of God and everybody, in front of you tongue-talking Pentecostals of which I am one. I can never get to the place where I think salvation is an experience I had in 1976. Because if salvation is about me feeling something and getting wet in baptism and talking in tongues, then I've missed the point. Jesus has not come to bring me a way. He didn't come to bring me a formula. He is the way. The new birth is what happened when I put my attention on Jesus. Salvation is not a three-step formula. Salvation is a person. Many times we listen to the experiences of others and feel how we too would long for such an experience. Somebody says, well, I was praying and I had this experience or I I was talking to God and I had this experience and we often maybe feel, uh, we say, well, Lord, I, I wish I could have that experience and we see only what happened or what transpired in that person's life. And they say, well, I fasted seven days and I was praying two hours a day and all of a sudden this happened. And you know what happens in our lives? We see what that person is doing. And so we think if we do what they did, we'll have the same experience they had. So we can be tempted to do what that person did to get the answer they got. And we miss the fact that Jesus doesn't want us to reduce this to a mathematical equation. I can't tell you how God can heal cancer in one and another goes on to meet the Lord. I can't tell you why one baby survives and another rolls over in the night and in sudden infant death syndrome. I can't answer those questions, but I know this. Jesus is more than a mathematical formula that if I plug life into it, it all works. No, Jesus is the way. The way is not a path I walk on. The way is not three steps, repent, be back. And those are important. Obedience is important. But the way is not a road I'm walking. The way is not a lifestyle I live. The way is a person. And I do what I do. And I obey what I obey. Because the way is a person. And I want to please him. And I want to love him. This church is not about do these things and you'll be a member. No, love Jesus and love him with all your heart. We must be careful that we do not seek a way. We forget about the way. Jesus is the way. A method, a gift, a thing though a blessing when given to us by God can be the greatest distraction. Why? Because there is no power in things. I've watched people come to an altar and repent and tell God they're sorry, get baptized and tarry and seek God for the Holy Spirit baptism. And I think, you know, when I got the Holy Ghost, it happened this way. And somebody else said, well, when I got the Holy Ghost, they were shaking me all over the front. So in your head, you think, if I just go shake them, they'll have what I have. No, you got Jesus. 
And in your head you think, well, they slapped me on the cheeks and I finally started speaking in tongues. Somebody was yelling in my ear, so I'm going to go yell in their ear. No, Jesus didn't bring us a method. That's why the Holy Ghost can fall right now and you sitting in that chair can be born again of the Holy Ghost right now. Right now, nobody has to lay their hands on you. Nobody has to shake you because the minute you turn your eyes to Jesus. I thought, now, Lord, something's the matter with you. These people are praying. They're sincere. I see the tears. What's wrong with you? Well, I want to tell you something, friend. If there is any other way in our life but Jesus, he won't answer. And I want to tell you, every other way in your life is powerless. Jesus is the way. What are you saying, Pastor? Let me put it plainly to you. Everything. Turn to your neighbor and say, that means everything. Turn to your neighbor and tell them the Greek of that means everything. The Greek meaning. Everything outside of Jesus is dead. In him was life. Everything else is dead. I want you to think about that for a minute. Church attendance, prayer, worship, singing, and the list goes on and on. If Jesus isn't at the center of all of it, I'm wasting my time. So I'm not here today because I just wanted to come and put my name on the roll. He was present. Afraid I wouldn't be welcomed at the dinner if I didn't at least show up Sunday morning. No. I'm here to see Jesus. But not only is Jesus the way, He is the truth. How many times do we take the teachings of Jesus and interpret them as truth? In fact, there may be some of us in this room that are a little more vehement about truths than we are about Jesus. We run the risk of worshiping a doctrine and not Jesus. Oh, make no mistake about it. One of this church's gifts, and I hope it continues, is the gift of teaching, and we want to teach doctrine. But the scripture says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Let me ask you, how many truths have actually made you free? There are people that are not at church today that know more scripture than you do. There are backsliders that know who God is and know the oneness of God and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. They can tell you how to be born again, but they're not here today. Some of them may be sleeping over a hangover. Truth didn't make them free. If truth was only the correct belief system, that makes nobody free. Believe in the right stuff. Doctrine has no life in itself. The truth is a living, breathing person. Jesus is the truth. And the moment I reduce my relationship with God with a few creeds, I have just put a lid on Jesus. Jesus is not a few creeds that I assent to. No, he is a living person. 
So you're in a strange church today. We are not gonna celebrate lifeless creeds that we can quote without even thinking about it. Jesus is the truth. And he wants to lead me into all truth. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. That's the kind of church you're in today. Jesus is the life, the life. Everybody say the life. Let me ask today, how many of you living for God is like work? Don't raise your hand. It's hard work. Learning, remembering, memorizing. That can wear you out. Let's talk about your life. Let's talk about living. How do I know you're alive today? You know what? Life just naturally flows. If your heart's beating, your lungs are expanding, and all of it's working right, you're living. You don't think about it. You don't, uh, somewhere in the middle of the night, your subconscious brain don't say, okay, now come back to life. Got to remember. No, life just naturally happens. And you know what? Uh, Life naturally flows into work. I do things because I'm alive. Nobody has to come and say, come on, Calvin, you're alive. It's time to get up and eat breakfast. You're alive. How many worship services we say, come on, folks, worship. Come on, isn't God good? But if life was there, it just flows. It just, just happens. There's no need to go cut a load of wood today to prove that I'm alive. I am alive and work flows from that life. And Jesus is life. I don't have to go to church. No. My work is a byproduct of Jesus being my life. I don't have to live a holy life. No. Like one of my dear friends wrote years ago. He wrote a song, a stanza in that song said, Nobody's holding a gun to my head. I live the way I live because Jesus is my life. I don't have to make him Lord of my finances. He is because he's my life. I don't wonder, well, should I pay tithes? I've got people splitting hairs about should I give, what should I give? Hey, wait a minute, is Jesus your life? I don't have to work. It's just about Jesus' life in me will issue forth in holiness, faithfulness, stewardship, giving, and the list goes on and on. Fact of the matter, anybody can master a system of externals. Why does it say that the Lord would prefer to live, to have a live dog rather than a dead lion? Have you ever thought of that? The scripture that talks about the Lord's preference to have a live dog rather than a dead lion. That says that some of us, if we're not careful, we start thinking about things we have to do. And we have to go to church, so we show up. We sit in the service, and we don't raise our hand. We don't think about Jesus one time. Dead lion. We give in the offering, but we don't give church. Dead lion. And the Lord says, I'd rather have a live dog. He's not as stately. He's not the king of the jungle. But at least he's going to lick my hand when I put it down there to pet him. At least he's going to be wagging his tail when I show up from the house. 
And I don't know about you, I've said it many times, but if we ever get tired of our relationship with God, I believe the Lord can raise up stones and make them children of Abraham. You know what that means? There's some stonies out there that would take your place if you don't appreciate what you have. He'll send a drug addict in here that loves him for what he's done. All right, I'm closing. Let me give you an example. The death of Lazarus. Anybody remember that? The death of Lazarus. I'm sure the sisters would have been overjoyed to hear. I know in, in losing my loved ones, I would have loved to hear the Lord say, Don't worry about your father's death, for I will raise him up. I like those words. That would have comforted my heart had he said to those sisters, Mary and Martha, Don't worry about your brother's death. For I can raise him up. We all like to hear those words. What the Lord's going to do for us. What we admire and anticipate is that the Lord will do more for us. Because what he's done now is not enough. We need more. We need more. We need to do something else. And what the Lord wants us to see is not what he can do. But what he is. His doing is based on His being, who He is. And He does not tell Mary and Martha, I'm fixing to do something great for you. No, He tells them who He is. Remember that? He said, Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He never once said, I'm fixing to do this for you. No, He focused them on His identity. So today at Christmas time, I, I don't want to focus on what he's going to put in my life again and what he's going to do for me that, that I might need even. That's not the point, but help me, Lord, to focus on who you are. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the scripture calls it. Let me ask you today, what are you missing? What are you missing? What is it today that is in short supply in your life? Let me ask it in a little different way. What do you need more of? I got the Lord. Why is that enough? Because He's everything. I know it's so simplistic. You love the complications in making that very complicated. Maybe I do too, but maybe the Lord... Maybe what Paul was shocked about Christians, maybe we all have that disease that the thing that started so simple, we have the, uh, the capacity to complicate in no uncertain terms. And Paul says, I'm amazed that you're moved away from simplicity. He's my everything. I want you to consider for a moment as we close Israel's exodus from Egypt. I want you to think about two to three million people coming out of a strange land. I want you to think about the needs of sustaining a group of two to three million people. The Bible tells us they left with cattle and herds. That didn't last very long. Two to three million people going hungry. There's not a well in that 
wilderness that would supply the needs of that group of people. There is not enough food, there's not enough cattle in the land the Lord drew them to. There was nothing there to sustain them. Their food, their protection, their guidance, and the list goes on and on. They would have been lost if it had not been for the Lord. He was their food. He gave them water. He protected them from the desert sun. And He gave them heat every night. And He guided them on their journey. The Bible tells me that if God is for me, who can be against me? That's why I'm not worried about what's under the tree. Now, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get my family some stuff. And I, you know, I hope they see a few needs in my life. (laughs) But I want to tell you, I hope we can embrace today the simple idea that Jesus is enough. And as I close, I want to bring more, one more recognition of who he is. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. This was spoken to a group of people in Capernaum who were expecting Jesus to feed them. How many altars have I come to expecting the Lord to do some little thing that I'm really in desperate need of and his way's not my way and sometimes... He answers the way I think it ought to be answered, and sometimes he doesn't. But he speaks to people in Capernaum who were expecting food. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who gives the bread is he that is the bread. What is that saying? That I can get so focused on the stuff he puts on my table that I forget he that gives the bread is he that is the bread. Bread, the word in a biblical term, it simply means satisfaction. Everybody say satisfaction. We always meet hungry people, discontented, unhappy with everything, dissatisfied. But this scripture is saying Jesus is the satisfaction of life. Oh, they don't ride them like they used to, do they? No, I remember an old chorus that used to go, and don't worry, Sherry, we're not going to bust into it and sing it. But the chorus says, satisfied with Jesus. Satisfied with Jesus. Must I remind you today of the words of Solomon who had lived a long life and withheld his own pen. He said, I withheld nothing from myself. And after a long life lived, he comes to the end of his road to find out that all is vanity. None of it matters. I'm glad I've got the Lord today. Oh, would you worship him right now? Just as the singers gather up today and as we get ready to have prayer together. Would you worship the Lord right now? Would you lift him up? Would you talk to him and say, Lord, don't let me get distracted with things. and Don't let me get, even with religious things, Lord, let me to keep my eyes on you, Lord. Refocus this church, Lord. Refocus us, Lord, in this time, oh God. Jesus makes a difference. Two families living side by side in the mountains of Kentucky. 
fighting and quarreling for years. The feud started when Grandfather Smith's cow jumped over the stone fence of Grandfather Brown's and ate his corn. Grandfather Brown shot the cow. Then one of the Smith's boys shot one of the Brown boys. In fact, two of them. While the Browns had shot only one of the Smiths, Bill, the oldest of the Brown family, decided to even up matters, especially since it was his own father who had been killed. But Bill was called away to war. While he was away, his mother had a hard time providing for the rest of the family. And one Christmas, the head of the Smith family took his wife and children to church. And as usual, he usually stayed outside of church and let his wife and kids go in. But on this day, it was bitterly, bitterly cold, so old Mr. Smith decided to go inside and wait inside the door. The sermon was on Jesus, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. And what that preacher said that day struck that old man Smith's heart. And on his way home, he passed the home of the Browns with whom he'd been feuding for years. And he began to realize what a crime he had committed in killing the breadwinner of the family. He prayed right there in the middle of the road. In fact, he did more than pray. He determined in his heart to help that family, so secretly he hired a small boy every day to carry a basket of food to the Browns' house every day and leave it on their porch. When Bill Brown finally came home from war, he began to hear about what was going on. Somebody's leaving food every day on the, on the porch. He decided to find out who the generous helper was. So one day he hid out beside the house and watched as a little boy came up to the front porch and set a basket of food on the porch. And he remained at distance and he followed that little boy and to his surprise that little boy went to the door of the Smith's house. Obviously it was no kin to Ronnie Smith. He wouldn't be shooting anybody. He was shocked. This little boy walked in the Smith. He'd been feuding with these people for years. He couldn't believe his eyes so he knocked on the door. When Mr. Smith answered the knock, he smiled and declared to Mr. Bill Brown, he said, shoot me, Bill, if you want to. But Bill said he had come to thank him for taking care of his family while he was gone. Then Mr. Smith explained to Bill how he'd come to change, have a change of heart. He had heard the story of the Prince of Peace, and it changed his life. I want to tell you, that can't just happen sitting in the church. Your life doesn't change just because you hang out with the right people. You got to have an encounter with Jesus. And there was a song penned some years ago. I thought about singing it today, and then I thought, no, I'll just, I'll just give you the words. One of my all-time favorites, and the words say this: "In Christ alone will I glory, though I could pride myself in battles won. For I've been blessed beyond measure, and by His strength alone." I've overcome. Oh, I could stop and count successes like diamonds in my hands. But these trophies could not equal to the grace by which I stand. In Christ alone I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. In every victory 
let it be said of me, my source of strength and my source of hope is Christ alone. In Christ alone will I glory, for only by His grace I am redeemed. And only His tender mercy could reach beyond my weakness to my need. Now, I seek no greater honor than just to know Him more and to count my gains but losses to the glory of my Lord. In Christ alone I place my trust. Does anybody feel that way today? I wish you'd stand today and say, Lord, I want you to be my everything this Christmas. I want you to be my joy, my peace, my happiness. I want you to be my healing, my life, my salvation, my bread. I want you to be everything today. Come on right now as they begin to sing.